the immigrants that are here are highly educated and had to go through a hard process to get in. And they're keeping their language and they're saying, well, we want to teach our children this. And um, they're keeping their culture. Hey, what's happening, everybody? Larry Roberts back with another awesome episode of the Readily Random Podcast. And today I've got somebody with me, man, that I think she's going to blow your mind. She blows my mind. And well, a lot of that has to do with the fact that I only speak one language. So Wendy Pease is with me today, and she is the president of Rapport International. And what they do, man, is they provide a ton of translation services and cultural exchange services, and they just help you as a business owner or entrepreneur or whoever you may be reach more people with your message and your brand by providing the translations and making sure that you're sending the right messages when we start to expand and go global with our reach. So, Wendy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, thank you so much for having me here today, Larry. I'm really looking forward to talking to you. Did I get that intro right? I mean, am I kind of on point there? Oh, my gosh. You were fabulous. Oh, gosh. It's absolutely right on, perfect, and I loved hearing it. <laughs> cool deal, man. I'll cut a promo for you after the show. So. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, it's important. <laughs> <laughs> so, Wendy, what is it, man, that, that, that really got you down this path? Because this is a very unique path. I mean, it's a service yeah. that is widely needed, uh, but yeah. it's not something that I've ever sat, sat back and thought, you know what, I wonder if there's a company out there that provides these types of of services. So how did you get into this type of service and, and what motivates you to pursue it? Well, I got into it because um, I lived internationally when I was young and my dad was in international agriculture. So we weren't in the cities where there might be a lot of other people who spoke my language. So in Mexico, I went to a half Spanish, half English speaking school then we were in the Philippines, and then I did third and fourth grade in Taiwan. So I really got the experience of wow. being somebody who was different and didn't speak the language and learned a lot of what you can do with body language and hand signals and, and all that. But for truly deep understanding, you need to, you need to speak the language. So I've taken, um, I speak some Spanish, French, and Italian and when I was looking for my last job 17 years ago, I happened to come across this tiny translation company for sale. And I went, ooh, that's cool. And I can remember telling my dad when I was in high school that I thought it would be interesting to be an interpreter. And he said, go specialize in something and become bilingual. Well, I specialized in business and never became fully bilingual. <laughs> <laughs> But here I am surrounded by these people that are just, you know, they're fully bilingual. They're really, really smart. The translators have, a lot of them have masters and PhDs and they quote dictionaries. And, and I learn random words that we don't have in English <laughs> all the time. So I love it. I love it. That's really amazing. You know, living in Texas, you would think that I would at least have a functional understanding of Spanish, uh, but I don't. Uh, and, <laughs> and it's something that I've always regretted and I've always wanted, I say I wanted to, if I really wanted to, let's be honest, we're going to, we're going to make the time, we're going to make the sacrifices necessary in order to make it happen. Do I regret not doing it? I most definitely do. My daughter, she speaks Spanish. My son, he speaks Spanish and he got his degree in linguistics with a major in Russian. So he speaks Ooh. Russian fluently. 
so he's multilingual. My daughter, obviously bilingual. Uh, so they, they're all talented in, in the communicative arts, if you will. Uh, but here I am bringing up the rear, just speaking old English. You know what? They get more exposure. Kids these days and millennials, they're online and they get exposure to languages. They do more traveling than a lot of people did yeah. growing up. So they're growing up more accepting than, than you know, people before ever were. And the other thing that's going on in the U.S., we used to call it the melting pot, mm -hmm. where people would come into the United States, push away their language and culture, and try to immerse in the American culture and speaking English. People that are coming to the United States aren't doing that now. Most of the immigrants, I mean, you're down in Texas, so maybe you've got slightly more illegal immigration, but in most of the United States, the immigrants that are here are highly educated and had to go through a hard process to get in. Mm -hmm. So they're coming in and they're keeping their language and they're saying, well, we want to teach our children this. It's for them to be a global citizen and be bilingual as an advantage. And um, they're keeping their culture, you know, the celebrations that they had and the, the cultural differences. And I think that makes the U.S. so much richer. Yeah, I, I, I think you're spot on because, I mean, my, my daughter, she spent a year in Europe going through high school. Uh, my son, he, I don't know how long he was in Russia. I, I, I should know, but it was a long time. Uh, so he immersed himself <laughs> in that culture as well. You know, even being as close, I say close, I'm in North Texas, but even with Mexico being, you know, just down the street a ways uh, and being down in South Texas over spring breaks and whatnot, I have never been outside the country. So now I'm really I'm, yeah, exactly. And I'm 48 years old. I've never been outside the country. Uh, I'm going to change that if plans come together. I'm currently planning on leaving the country in February of next year, uh, working on a big trip to Japan. So yeah. I, I am using uh, what's what's the app Duolingo, I think is what it's called. Yeah, Duolingo. So I, I am working through uh, my Japanese. You can't really see that on the screen because it's just white. But yeah, I'm working on my Japanese now. So I'm learning some basic uh, just uh, stuff that'll help me, you know, like where's the bathroom or, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> hamburger. I mean, just these things that can get me through, uh, yeah. while I'm in Japan for 10 days to two weeks next year. So, uh, oh, good that, that's for pretty you. Cool. So, yeah. Yeah. But I think you're yeah. spot on. People are traveling a lot more, uh, yeah. the cultures that are coming over, they're bringing their cultures with them, which is mm -hmm. tremendous. Uh, yeah. and, and it's an opportunity and an exposure that we haven't had in previous generations. Right. And right. are you seeing, because of that, you're seeing more of a demand for the services that you provide? Uh, we are. It's a, it's a couple of things. One is because the traveling and the increase in international business. Actually, it's three things. The um, second is the internet, and that is giving more access to businesses to, to go international. So, for example, people are becoming what we call accidental exporters because they put their site up there and people around the world are saying, ooh, I want that. And the smart marketers are paying attention to it and going, ooh, if I'm getting requests from Germany, why don't I do a little translation and, and, and bring those people in and sell to them? So, it's brilliant. And then I know some e-commerce companies that uh, specialize in China, and they're going gangbusters with helping companies uh, sell products over in China, which is such, it's a huge market. Sure. They've got disposable income. And then the actual, the third reason is 
that we're seeing business go up because Google Translate came in. And at first, people are like, ooh, yeah, I'll put the plugin into my site, or I can just use this for translation. And now there's a realization that it's not good enough to do marketing. And so, you know, marketing, legal, anything that's going to affect your top line or your bottom line, you really don't want to use a machine translation for. So it, it, that's actually increased the, the, the amount of business that's coming into the industry and demand for language services. Yeah, I think the tattoo industry could have benefited from your services a long time ago. I mean, you know, how many people got some kanji on them that they think says love and harmony and it says, you know, hot dogs and, and, and who knows? So, uh, yeah. Oh, well, we did a whole series of posts on that. I think it was about a year or two ago. So if you go back in our old social media posts. Yeah. It was a whole series of, of tattoos. They're videos that yeah. I recorded, so you can look for those, of mistaken t- of tattoos, and they're hysterical. We were collecting them there for a while. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, as a martial artist, I've seen many, many warrior tattoos that did not translate to warrior or, you know, Bushido or any kind of warrior's code or anything like that. It's yeah, like, right. Nah. That's not what yeah. that says. Sorry. So. Yeah. They're one of my favorite. It wasn't a tattoo, but I know the owner of a moving company. He's called, it's called the Gentle Giant. I know they're strong up here. Are you familiar with no, them? No, I'm not. No, no, no. no. Okay. They might be a, a more Northeast based, but I was talking to the owner and he said he had a funny experience with that. He went over to China and there was a man doing the characters on a shirt. He says, oh, can you do one with my company name? It's called Gentle Giant. So he got one and he proudly put it on and he's walking around and he had all these Chinese people laughing at him and pointing at him. Now, you got to get a picture of him. He's like a, he's 60, 70 years old. I don't know. He could be 80 or 90 years old, but he's really, really fit and he looks younger than he is. He's a nationally ranked rower. And he's tall. So he's tall, he's fit, he's light-skinned. And so he's walking around with this shirt on and and he couldn't figure out, he's got a good sense of humor. So he goes back to the hotel and he asks somebody, he's like, what does this say? And they said, well, it says gentle giant, but gentle in that character means that you're a homosexual. So it's his shirt said, large homosexual. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what you get when you get somebody who isn't a professional translator interpreter. They don't know how to ask for clarification so you can end up with something you didn't intend to say. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you definitely have to be careful in that regard for sure. Well, tell me, when you what language do you see more exposure in? I mean, as a U.S.-based company, do you see one language really standing out from another that, that requires more services? Well, we see a lot of Spanish because sure. it's a little-known fact that Spanish, of all the countries that speak Spanish, the largest number of Spanish speakers are in Mexico. The second largest are in the United States. So without even leaving our borders, if you start marketing in Spanish, if it's appropriate for your, your, your business, sure. um, you've got huge potential right here. Up in the Northeast, we see a lot of demand for French because in Canada, you've got the, the bilingual requirements. And then from there, I mean, I just wrote a book that talks about this. How do you pick the countries? How do you pick the languages? And it really comes down to what your company's strategy is. So I've talked to some business owners who said, you know, I wanted to hike in New Zealand. So that was the first country that I went to outside of the United States. 
We've got some people who recognize that China is a huge market and that's their ultimate goal. And so either they decided to go big and start with China or they might pick a smaller Chinese market like Singapore or Hong Kong um, and test it out there, develop the process and then launch into a larger company. So they're there's 6,000 languages about in the world, um, and we see probably a couple of dozen that are most commonly requested. So you've got the European languages and Russian, Chinese, Japanese, Korean, Vietnamese, Arabic. Yeah, saying there's 6,000, yeah. that's kind of mind-boggling. And, and, yeah. uh, and that is, I don't even know if I can comprehend that because uh, obviously you're familiar, most of us are familiar with probably the top two dozen that you're referring to there. We've heard some semblance of them, but to imagine mm-hmm. there's 6,000 languages. Yeah. That's really, that's really amazing. And it is absolutely incredible. Yeah. And, and how, I mean, I, I don't even know how I can't even fathom, like if I was going to make up a language, you know, because I know they do that. Like for movies, if you recall, like Avatar, yeah. you know, that yeah. was a, that was a real dialect. They came up with yeah. a real dialect for a movie. So you're just like, wow. Linguistics is really, really an amazing thing when you break it down yeah. and you think about it, especially from someone oh, that uses so many movies that they've made up uh, languages for. We had we had information on that. I don't know if we've done the post yet or not, but um, there's a there's a guy that specializes in making up languages for oh, movies. Wow. <laughs> wow. I know. Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> that would definitely be fun. But I mean, it's, it's like, where would you even begin? And, and well, when, you're, when you're breaking the language down, I think that's kind of interesting there because I think so many times people talk about, you know, learning the English language or knowing English or speaking English. But yeah. so many times we are simply thinking about the words and the pronunciation of words as compared to the structure of the language itself. When you're, when, when you're translating or you're providing these services, how critical is it? And I think maybe you already gave the example with the, with the gentle giant there. How critical is it in understanding the actual structure behind the language and the inferences that come with each either character or letter or you know, vowel or consonant or however you want to refer to it? All right. Well, let me throw one of your sayings back. I heard you say it on an earlier podcast. Okay. Uh, you're from Texas where the men are men. Yes. And the, go ahead, finish it. <laughs> the cows are. Nervous? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. How the heck would you translate that for any place else in the world? There's a lot of meaning in there that you've kind of got to be an American or maybe even a Texan. That is not something we say up here outside of Boston. Man, who would have ever thought out of everything I've ever said, that's what comes back. That's what comes back and bites me on an episode of the podcast. That is hilarious. No, no. This is why you have to have professional translators. Yeah. I mean, another one that I like is, well, here's one. Here's one. Redneck. You know what a redneck is? Yeah, yeah. Yes, What's a redneck? I, I, a redneck's just a country boy or a country girl. You know, it's just someone that lives out in the country. They probably have a trailer and they try, probably drive a 1984 Chevrolet Silverado that's all rusted out, you know. <laughs> probably got a big barrel carburetor on it and that sort of thing. That's a redneck, you know. That's a redneck, right. <laughs> and I grew up in central Pennsylvania for a lot of years. And so I know what a redneck is. I just know what it means. Well, I put that into to Google Translate, and I translated it into Spanish. Yeah. And I got the back translation said, white peasant. White peasant. 
I mean, if you were to break it down and you were to look at it from a cultural perspective, potentially those in elite positions would look at a redneck as a white peasant. Uh, so there's some accuracy there. Yeah. Well, in Germany, it's a farmer. Okay. Well, see, and then we start breaking down the word because, honestly, a redneck is someone whose neck got red because of the sun constantly beating down on it because they're out in the fields plowing the fields and doing manual labor and doing agriculture-type work. Well, you know what is really interesting? That's what I always thought. Uh-oh. But when I was playing around with the world on Google Translate, I thought, you know, I want to look it up and see what it really means. It actually comes from the red bandanas that the coal miners wore to fight the poor working conditions. So it was like a like a some sort of a statement they were making, a fashion statement for poor working conditions. Yeah, and then it kind of got into like communism. You know, they were they were called socialists and communists because the wealthy mine owners didn't want to pay a living wage or didn't want to cover workers' comp or whatever it was, but they were protesting working condition and, and wages and the red bandanas signaled that they, they were in support of that. So that's what a redneck is. That's why it's not truly a farmer or something. So when your your whole description of them, I listen very Completely carefully. Off. No, 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 no. You never once said farmer. Until no? you started describing how they got the redneck, you never once said you said it's a good old country boy. You were talking about the carburetors, you were talking about the, but you never once said farmer. Well, yeah, there, there's so many connotations on it, though. There's so many yeah. different takes on the word. That's yeah. interesting. Uh, see, folks, when you listen to the Readily Random Podcast, you never know what you're going to get. And now you're educated. You're fully formally educated on the term redneck. So that's cool. No, but honestly, that sort of thing fascinates me. I think that's yeah. really interesting to understand that there are so many takes on a particular word and rednecks just one example of, of yeah. the gentle giant being another. I mean, there are so many examples of how things get, you know, you don't call it lost in translation for nothing. Right, exactly. And I have a whole list of them. I mean, some German words are really interesting because they take multiple words and fit them together. So the actual translation doesn't make sense, but it has a real meaning like Katzenjammer is it means i mean it literally translates into cat's whale okay but it means hangover <laughs> all i can imagine is people who have a hangover sound like a cat wailing oh uh, okay okay oh, uh, see uh, here i'm thinking a cat's whale like a whale like as in uh you know the, oh an animal uh, an animal yeah like yeah a, a no blue like oh whoa is me a, a cat's whale <laughs> I, yeah i can kind of see that yeah crying about it i got you yeah. Yeah, there were many days that I spent doing that. That's <laughs> <laughs> all right. If you like that one, I got a finish word that you're gonna love. Hit me with the finish word. Calcidaconit. Calcidaconit. Uh huh. Okay, what is that? It means I'm at home in my underwear. I'm getting drunk, and there's no way I'm going out. <laughs> <laughs> Calcidaconit, and that's finish. <laughs> It's a finished wow. word. Wow. And so they, <laughs> they just take different components to bring it together? and. Well, I don't know on the finished word. I know that German, that's kind okay. of what we're talking okay. about, you okay. know, grammar yeah. and formation and languages and words. So you have to know the meaning. I mean, if you tried, if you didn't know 
the the actual meeting, you'd try to figure out what the two words meant and put them together. Now, calcitonic, I don't know. I met a guy at a conference and I've looked it up to to make sure that he wasn't pulling my leg and he told me that. Wow. <laughs> and so now I'm like, oh, what the perfect word for the times that we've had to quarantine. <laughs> yeah, we're all right here in the midst of a calcitonic. I don't know. It's just what's happening. So Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Man, that is crazy. So tell me this, you know, because not only do you translate languages, but you also help in translating cultures. How does that come into play? Because in dealing with foreign countries and individuals from a completely different culture, there are different cultural practices that need to be taken into account because, I mean, obviously we could unintentionally offend someone uh, if we don't understand their culture, what sort of thing do you do there to help your clients understand the culture that they're trying to break into? Well, first, let's just um, get some terminology down pat. Sure. So translation is written and uh-huh. interpretation is spoken. And if you can remember that, you'll see mistakes all over the place because the words are used interchangeably, but in the industry, they mean something so if I give up an example in translation, we did the tagline translation for Staples when they were doing the, the um, make more happen. Okay. I don't know if you remember those slogans and they'd take more out and they'd put other things in. So one of them was make refrigerator art happen. Okay. You know what refrigerator art sure, is. Sure, sure. Yeah, so what is it, just in case somebody listening yeah, it's doesn't just, know? It's, maybe your kid does something, makes a drawing of the pet dog or something. It's just something that's, that's, that's constructed generally by a child, and you put it up on the refrigerator for display. Exactly. So we know what that is as uh, people in the U.S. who speak English. Well, the French translator got it, and she said, this isn't a thing in France. In France, the refrigerator is for keeping food cold. We don't hang stuff on the refrigerator, you know, so it was a, it's a monopurpose utensil. So we knew to go back to, uh, you know, our contacts at Staples and just say, this isn't a thing. Do you want us to play around and come up with something else? Or since they had about eight different options, they said, no, we'll just skip that one and just use that in the United States. So that's the kind of cultural adaptation. So Staples didn't end up using that over in France and confusing everybody. Mm-hmm. So another one was there was a hospital that had a tagline about it's all about getting better. Okay. And so the translator did it and said it's all about the hospital providing better services. And the editor read it and said, no, I don't think so. I think it's all about the patient getting better. Mm. So. It has the dual meaning, and they read that differently. Both of them were right, and it couldn't be handled in the Haitian Creole translation because you needed to have a subject there. So we could go back and explain that to the client, and they could pick whichever the way. I forget which way they picked, but they picked which one they wanted to use. So you couldn't just imply a subject. There had to be a, it had to be defined in order for that translation to work. Yes. Okay. Yes. And so with anything written, if it's going out to the public, you want to make sure it's completely accurate. And um, so you can't, there's not a, you know, when you think you're being cutesy and witty in English, to do that translation can be very difficult or virtually impossible to do. So, um, you know, we work with people on the global English writing to help get it clean so it can be translated into the other languages. 
So on an interpretation example, say you go into, you have an interpreter and you're going into a factory tour and there's some culturally appropriate thing you have to do. You know, like, for example, say you're going over to China and there's very, like, proper ways to order food and be seated at the table and how to toast and how to, you know, ask for more or how to take things, where to put your chopsticks. Those are all things your interpreter can help coach you on so you're not offending your hosts when you're being formally entertained, and that's much more likely to happen outside of the U.S. Here, we'll come in, do business, and then leave. Most other countries, you have to build that relationship. Yeah, we don't even care. Just come on in here and let's, let's figure out a way we can do some business, and then we'll send you on your way. I don't know what you're doing over there, buddy, but it's okay as long as you're writing that check. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Is that how America's really viewed? I mean, come on. Seriously? Yes. We, we yes. Just, <laughs> Yes. All they want to do is talk business. We have an established trust. On my podcast, The Global Marketing Show, I interviewed a young American who's living over in Vietnam, and he said over there with the group he was with, they expected him to go get drunk. Because if you don't get drunk with the people before you do business with them, how can you trust them? Yeah. Ooh, see? Oh, my Lord. Yeah, no, and Americans have the reputation that we, we have to document everything documents so it's known as like kind of a litigious oh very litigious yes yeah and so documenting i mean that's just part of the culture you have a meeting okay i'll send you an email and document everything we talked about uh that's not done in a lot of countries really see now that i find that tremendously interesting being that i just transitioned from corporate america of course i'm still very ingrained with that corporate thought process of yeah you gotta have the minutes you gotta have minutes and anytime you have a meeting with someone even now uh, if I have a meeting that's business-related, I'm going to type up some minutes, and I'm going to, per our conversation, here's what we said, and here's what we agreed upon. Is this correct? Did I leave anything out? Do you want to add anything? Or Wow. And that's yeah, so, Germans think it's quite funny. Really? I've heard some people from Germany say, yeah, you want to document everything. Yeah. Wow. So they're just like, all right, yeah, we're going to do it. All right, see you. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> But I mean, I can see where, and again, maybe this is a cultural thing. And so many times it's so hard to look at these cultures that do things so differently than we do that, do it and be able to even remotely relate. Because honestly, as I sit here, yeah, I think documenting everything is tedious and it is a pain and it's a waste of time. But at the same time, every once in a while, it can bite you in the backside if you don't, you know, if you don't do that CYA, right? Yeah. It, or it, if you have a memory like mine, I'm going the mile, you know, 10 million miles per minute. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't know how many times my wife goes, hey, you remember that thing I showed you last month? No. No, I don't. I don't remember that. Hey, do you remember that time back in 2003 when we didn't know? No, I, I don't remember no. that. No. No, I don't remember last Tuesday. Okay. Yeah, I've always loved that saying, if you never lie, you never have to remember. Uh, I love okay. it. Okay. Did you say that? I don't know. Did I? If I did, then yes, that's, that's the way it is. Uh-huh. Yeah, I got I to gotta keep it simple. But it's interesting to, to, to think about other cultures and how – we would enjoy, right, being able to live in that culture, but we're so ignorant to the culture. At the same time, we can't have an appreciation for it. 
Well, the, you know, so I mentioned my podcast. I interview a lot of people who are experts in global marketing and have lived around the world, and they always have a memorable cultural experience where, you know, just something happened to them or they embarrassed themselves. But the, the predominant feeling is as long as you stay curious, you know, you can figure out people. Because people around the world generally want the same thing. They sure. want you know, loving relationships, they want to feel safe, they want to have enough food, they want to have a productive lifestyle, you know, they're generally going to be kind. And, you know, so people are people, you'll go to Japan, and even though they'll look way different from people in Texas, you're still going to have fun, and you're going to laugh, and, you know, you're going to, you know, new things, you know, what you'll think is new is old to them, but if they were trying new things, so, so, you know, and a smile is the same around the world. That's the same across all cultures. So in all the interviews that I've done, it's people who are just, they're non-judgmental, they're curious, and they're open to other people. They're successful. I mean, it's, it's really, you don't have to master the, the culture to get over there, and you just apologize if you do something wrong. Yeah, and and that know, can take you wrong. a long ways. Just understanding yeah. and being able to admit that, oh, that was a mistake on my part. I am very sorry for that. Uh, and, and, and knowing when to ask, you know, like if you get a strange expression, you know, there's been people <laughs> yeah, who, yeah, <laughs> they're not responding or when does yes mean no. And there's all sorts of stuff like that. But if you have some empathy and you just watch what's going on around you, you can then go to somebody one-on-one later and say, hey, can you? you know, explain what happened there and then you'll learn. Yeah. I think it's going to be very interesting to be, uh, about, I'm about six, three. And, um, you know, by the time I get over there, hopefully I'll weigh a svelte, I don't know, two fifty. So I'm, I'm going to be a pretty, pretty large individual for that culture. And I, I think it's going to be rather shocking because I'll tell you, I, I'm being a martial artist, lifelong martial artist, samurai culture in Bushido and uh, everything has always been something that's just amazed me. Right. Yeah. But several years back, I don't know, probably a couple of decades ago even, I went to a display over in Fort Worth. It was a samurai display, and it was a tour that was going across the country. And I was genuinely taken aback at how small the armor really was because yeah. their stature is is so much smaller. You know, I mean, just because of my ignorance and not understanding the culture and not really grasping the size difference, you know, I, I, I picture a, a samurai or a ninja, you know, yeah. they're, they're six foot tall. They're built like swimmers and they're just, ah, they're just, they're, they are the epitome of the modern masculine male. And then I see this armor and it's so little tiny and it's so cute. <laughs> and I was like, what? So, so here's, I, I think this is going to be a, an extreme uh, experiment in culture shock come yeah. next year when I get over there and then my big self just lumbering through the streets and trying to trying to fit in a hotel room is going to be interesting yeah yeah it will but you'll love it you'll <laughs> oh, I absolutely gonna, I, love I, I it I can't wait I'm excited it's the one place other than it's funny that you mentioned New Zealand earlier because that's my wife and I that is our dream location to retire we uh-huh. and, and to, totally unrealistic, but we we want to live in a banana tree on the beach and sell T-shirts to tourists in New Zealand. That's our. Why goal. is that unreasonable? Well, living in a banana tree is probably a little more difficult than it is in our head. 
Uh, but well, just, okay. <laughs> you know, I was picturing kind of, you know, a raised oh, a banana trees oh, around oh. like that. Yeah. Now we're just hanging out selling t-shirts to tourists. But no, seriously, New yeah. Zealand is someplace that we want to go. Uh, and I, I would love to. But, you know, it, it, as the ignorant, untraveled American, I have no idea how to even go about doing something like that. I mean, how, if I really wanted to relocate to New Zealand, I mean, I wouldn't even know. I don't, I don't have a passport. Of course, I have to get a passport for my Japanese trip. So I will have a passport before too long, hopefully. Uh, but I wouldn't even know how to go about it. And, and there's so many people that I talk to, they have no idea either. Yeah. I've heard through the exports that do, you know, there's free resources to help people sure, do. Sure, sure, sure. And I'm not asking for answers from you by any means. And I don't just no, mean New but Zealand. There's suggestions. I mean yeah. Yeah, no, but that was the from the export. So they have free resources if anybody wants to export. And I talked to a trade export that was doing that. And she said the number one fear was of languages and cultures. Yeah. Okay. And so you're talking about that. And I think that's a real American fear. But if you think about going from, Dallas or Houston or wherever in Texas and coming up to New England, coming to Boston. <laughs> yeah. It's a different culture. Yeah. 100%. You know, we have, we say different things. We don't talk about men being men and cows being nervous. <laughs> nervous. <laughs> we talk about Pac and Yakan being wicked smart. Yeah, you know? exactly. So, exactly. You know, I lived 10 years in California, completely different culture than back here. So that's all you're doing is you're you're just going, you know, you have to have a passport to go. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so it's, again, it goes back to people or people. So how do you do it? You get a passport, you get on the plane, and then when you get off, it'll sound different, it'll look different. Some of the food, some of the music will be different, but people will be people. They'll be willing to help you. Your iPhone will work to give directions <laughs> and find restaurants. Yes, yes. <laughs> the money's a little different, but you just go buy, you know, a little, you know, exchange thing in the the airport and exchange money. And then most other places you can just go into a bank and exchange money. So it's it's really, you know, and if Sounds you have so a question, simple. you it is. <laughs> it is. You, you know, allow extra time to laugh at the things along the way that are different and savor savor the smells there you go there you go there you go well Wendy, oh, i so want to talk to you after you get back to J from japan yeah oh, hey i would love to talk to you when i get back to japan i think we'll do a follow-up <laughs> uh to this particular episode when i get back and and talk about some of the some of the experiences and the the culture shock that i experienced while i'm there so uh yeah. definitely looking forward to it it's going to be a good trip cannot wait so, yes. Well, Wendy, yes. where can people find out more about Rapport International and find out more about you? Well, you can go to Linktree. Are you familiar with Linktree? I am familiar with Linktree, yes. So it's just L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E and then slash Wendy Pease, W-E-N-D-Y, P as in Peter, E-A-S-E. And you can link to... Get a free chapter, a couple free chapters of my book. You can go to a link from there to go to Amazon and buy it, which it's called The Language of Global Marketing. And it talks about how to develop a strategy, what the opportunity is, how do you, you know, leverage your domestic market. And then we get into language considerations. You can go to my, we post on LinkedIn and Instagram and Facebook. And so you can find whatever one you prefer. <laughs> you can find. So LinkedIn's a great place to just consolidate all those. And I, and of course I'm always happy to do a free conversation if you're thinking about um, 
doing international business. Cool deal. Cool deal. Well, Wendy, I can't thank you enough, honestly. This has been a very educational episode of the podcast. It's been a lot of fun. And, you know, I think we'll look back on it and laugh at ourselves a bit as as we progress in our evolution of cultural exposure. So it'll be a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Thank you, Wendy, so much. Thank you so much, Larry, for having me here today. It's been a joy speaking with you. It's a pleasure. Take care.